listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So as you're there in 1 John chapter 3, don't forget who he is writing to. He is writing to believers in this area around Ephesus. And what has happened when the gospel began leaving Jerusalem, disciples and teachers began heading west all the way to Turkey. That's where we find John. And as people are hearing the message of Jesus, they're responding to the gospel. What we realize about them is they are a people, believers, that are full of doubts and a lack of insurance. And it is a daily battle for them. It comes in a lot of ways. It comes through just life circumstances, things happening, and them trying to reconcile what they're hearing and what they're reading with what is going on in the world around them. But they also have false teachers, teachers that are coming in, the Gnostics, and they are teaching things that are going against the scriptures. Well, then we've seen time and time again, Satan himself And so they're wrestling with these doubts and assurance is a daily battle for them. So how about you and I? Do you battle with assurance and doubts? I mean, have you ever wondered, have you ever questioned just even the existence of God? Or doubts about his goodness and, and care for your life because of the things that you're experiencing and that are going on. And it's easy to doubt and lack assurance about, does God, does, does God really care? Is he really as good as people claim he is? Or doubts about, is this really all worth it? And we're trying to do all of these things right and things are not always working out as we hoped. Or even just a lack of assurance of truly being a believer. Well, for me, it happens each and every week when I get ready to preach. I begin opening God's Word and reading, and all of a sudden, to think, man, I'm about to stand up and deliver God's eternal Word to His people. And it's a daunting task. And every single week, in fact, even this morning it was happening, every time I begin to open up, all of a sudden there's this voice. I hear it each and every week, and it goes something like this. What in the world are you doing? You're not really good at it, don't you know? And you you kind of surrender to that. But then I hear this voice going, if people really just knew you, if they knew what you did or you thought this week, they would listen to one word you said. Or the voice will say, do you even believe what you are saying? Because I know you as well as you know you, and you're not really good at this Christian thing. I hear this voice tell me, you have no business standing up and speaking. Or what about when you're praying? It's happened even just this morning, getting ready to come up, beginning to pray. People ask us to pray for them all the time, and oftentimes we might forget. And then we remember, oh, I need to pray for them. Then all of a sudden, I begin hearing things like this. Look at you. What do you think you are doing coming before God and asking anything? Just this week you did things and you said things that really would disqualify you from asking God for anything. Man, don't you remember your attitude 
just this past week? Or do you remember when you got angry with your spouse for no reason at all just because you were having a bad day? Do you remember when you were harsh with your kids or how you just dismissed them? What about those unclean thoughts you had just three days ago? Yeah, you sure all act all spiritual and high and mighty in church. But if people just really knew you, that voice will tell you you're not really much of a Christian, are you? What right do you have to come before God to ask him anything? I mean, thoughts like that shut down prayers quickly. In fact, I think it's hard to do anything we're called to do, uh, to pray, to serve other people, to teach. And all the things we are called to do, if we do not have an assurance or a confidence that we're okay with God, that he accepts and loves us. So today, here's John's main idea. He is wanting to give us an assurance for an unsure heart. That's what John is going to say today. He wants to build an assurance in his people for all of those that have an unsure heart. So let's go back and begin at verse 19 and walk through these five or six verses. He says, By this you shall know, or you can know, that you are of the truth and reassure your heart or our heart before him. And he says, By this, and he's going back to what he's been saying over the last several chapters, and it's about loving others, and it's that agape love, it's that self-sacrificing, self-giving love. And John is saying, when we do this, when we love others in this very unnatural way that we would not do if God's Spirit didn't live in us, if we do that, it builds an assurance that we are people of the truth, that the truth is in us. So he says, loving others, it creates this greater assurance. When we do that, when we love in deed and in word and in truth, it builds an assurance that we belong to him. So putting others first before ourselves, it proves to our own selves, it proves to those of the ones loving that we are actually God's children, that sacrificing for other people, when we do that, it preaches to our unsure hearts that God is our Father. But notice now what John says gets assured. He says, we get to know, we will know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And John is going to use this word four times. So we have to stop and think about what is John referring to when he says your heart will be reassured or assured in that. Well, it's not the muscle pumping blood through your body. When John says the word heart, he means your conscience. So then we have to go, okay, what does he mean? What does that word actually mean, conscience? Because every culture has an idea, has a formulation of what a conscience is. And I believe everyone has one. And I think oftentimes this is the view we have. If you grew up watching the classic cartoons, there was always this scene that would happen where you would have uh, something on each shoulder. In fact, it got me thinking about the movie um, uh, The Emperor's New Groove with Kronk, I think was his name. Remember this movie? So there's the devil on one shoulder and then there's the angel on the other and there's some temptation that you're being called to and they are trying to make their case for what you should do. Well, it's a lot of times that's how we think about it, but it's not a complete 
picture of what our conscience actually is. So here's some things about our conscience. Conscience is this. It is this internal witness. This voice that you might hear, this internal witness to actually what you value. And everyone does this. Everyone has kind of this this internal awareness of what we value. And then how we respond to that brings up certain feelings. So if I do something and I'm acting in accordance with something that I value, there's, there's almost a sense of relief. There's a joy that comes in that. When you do something that you value or you don't do something that you value that you should not do. But then on the other hand, there's the opposite. It's when you do something that is counter to what we value. When we do that, there comes feelings of anguish and guilt. And you all know what a guilty conscience is. And what has happened is you've done something that goes against the value system that you have built. And everybody has one. And what happens, it's kind of like this built-in warning system that we all have. When I'm acting not in accordance with what I value, there's these signals that are going on like pain sensors in your body. Something isn't right. Or in your car, when these lights come up, it means there's something that's out of balance here that's not going according to plan. And everyone has a conscience. But we need to understand something. Our conscience is only as trustworthy when it is rightly informed and ruled by God. Because every society, you could probably go anywhere in the world, and everybody would tell you it's not okay to just walk up to someone and punch them in the face for no reason whatsoever. No matter where you live, that would probably really be understood. But not everybody has a value system that you shouldn't use God's Name in vain. There's different values. So our consciences cannot be the ultimate authority. They're only as trustworthy as where they come and they were informed and ruled by God. Because our consciences, they can change and they're absolutely fallible. But the third thing about a conscience is that sin, it can suppress that. You know, it's when you do something that you know you shouldn't do or you say something that you know you shouldn't do and or say, and man, there, all of a sudden there's this sense of, of guilt and there's this sense of shame. But then what happens when we keep doing that thing over and over, saying that thing over and over, all of a sudden that feeling of shame, that, that feeling of guilt, all of a sudden it begins to diminish. So our conscience is this internal witness to what we value. And everybody's got a value system. And when you're in a line with that, there's senses of joy and pleasure. But when we go against that, there's shame and there's guilt. And so what happens is our conscience, this internal witness, it brings up these feelings. So look at verse 19 again. It says, By this we shall know, have confidence that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. So when we love others, it does two things. It builds an assurance of who we belong to, but it reassures our hearts. And so John's going to show us now two things that your heart can do. Because look at verse 20. The negative of it is whenever our hearts condemn us. That our hearts, our conscience, they can condemn us. And it is that guilty conscience. And we all know what that is like. We do something that we know we shouldn't do. Or we don't do something we know we should do. 
there's this sense, these feelings that, that rise up in us. But then we can either stay and wallow in that guilt or we can preach this truth to ourselves. That God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. So God is greater than your heart. He is bigger than our feelings. But notice the reason. It says because God knows everything. So I go, hold on. How is it that God knows everything? How is that good news? How how is that a good thing that he is greater than my heart if he knows absolutely everything? So here's a little bit about this doctrine of God's omniscience. We say it this way, God simply knows everything. But it's bigger than just that. It means that no one teaches God anything. He doesn't have to learn anything. He never forgets anything. So here's how God knows everything is actually good news. That there's not an action or a thought that you or I have that God doesn't know about. Now allow that just to sink in for just a moment. There isn't an action or a thought, a motive that you or I have that God doesn't know. Can you imagine applying that to any other relationship in your life? Imagine if you walked into a room and someone could know every action you did this week, every thought that you had. I imagine our relationships would look very different and we probably wouldn't go anywhere knowing that they knew everything about me. But the truth is God knows everything. And John tells us that is good news for our guilty conscience. Well, how is that? I think it's because even though God knows everything about us, every action, every thought, that through Christ, he understands our weaknesses and he loves us and fully accepts us in spite of them. And so here's what we all know. Here's what we all share. You know how bad and sinful you are. And I know how bad and sinful I am. But there's something in us that we all do. No one will really allow themselves to admit just how bad we really are. That we are all far worse than we would ever actually admit. And it's because of sin. What happens is I think there's this mechanism in us that we automatically defend ourselves. We excuse things away and we will not allow ourselves to actually admit how sinful we really are. But God knows us even better than we knew ourselves. That even when we will not allow ourselves to admit just how sinful we are, God knows. He knows how sinful we are. He knows how bad we are and actually knows it far deeper than we actually do. So given the depths of our sinfulness, Christ has every reason to cast us aside. He needs no more evidence to do that. But because he hasn't, and because he won't, it's actually proof of just how much he loves and accepts us. So John says, when our conscience condemns us, when guilt overtakes us and shame overtakes us, we are to remind ourselves that God is bigger. That he knows us. In our sin more deeply than I know or I would even dare to admit. 
but he accepts me anyway. But our hearts and our conscience, it does not have to remain guilt-ridden because look at verse 21. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. That God is greater than our feelings, that he knows us better than we know ourselves, and he fully accepts us. That we can have an even greater confidence before him. So John then lets us know something that he knows. That when, when our conscience is guilty and our hearts, he says, condemn us. When these feelings are just running the show and we don't want to know what to do. That we can actually have a confidence before him. But I think what happens is when we're in those states... Men, when we feel guilt and we feel shame, our consciences are condemning us. The last thing we want to do is be around people. At least it is for me. And there is such a resistance to pray. So if you have kids, you've probably experienced this at some point. Your child does something and maybe days or weeks go by. And all of a sudden, they just can't handle it anymore. Or maybe you can remember this being as a child. Now, I've told this story before. I can remember getting picked up from karate practice one day, driving about 40 minutes from Fort Smith back home. And for some reason, I had all these sins built up, and I just couldn't hold it in anymore. My mom's driving, and I just, without even notice, I just unleashed them on her. And there's a, I don't know why she didn't just wreck the car at that point. I can remember her finally telling me, okay, Mark, that's enough. I don't need to hear anymore. But how does that usually go? Usually you walk up to your parent. Your child walks into you. Their head is down. They don't look you in the eye. They can barely speak. And the reason is because there's this lack of confidence that what I'm about to say is going to cause you not to accept me. What I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to admit is I'm really reluctantly doing this because I don't know if you're really going to forgive me. But the truth is God is telling us that we do not have to be that way before him. We can come to him with an even greater confidence that he is greater than all of our shame and all of the guilt, all of the feelings that are controlling us. Because notice what John says in verse 22. Because I think those feelings of guilt and shame and a lack of confidence causes us not to want to go before God. Just like a child doesn't want to go before his parents, so John reminds us. But don't forget, beloved. Whatever you ask, you receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. Now, at first reading, this kind of reads like, hey, if you'll just do all the right things, you'll be a good little Christian. God is kind of obligated to give you everything that you want, everything that you wish for. But John is going to talk about this in depth in chapter 5 to really explain all of that. So I want to save most of that for later. So you can go and read that uh, today uh, for yourself, but I'm going to hold that for in a few weeks. But I think John has several things in mind. Think when John says this, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. I think one thing he wants us to see is that we can boldly and confidently come before God with absolutely everything. You can admit your sins because he already knows. You can ask forgiveness 
even when it has been the hundredth time that you have asked for that, you can pray for those big things, those things that are weighing you down. But God even wants you to come before him with those things that seem small and insignificant. That God is never too busy and he is never bothered when his children come to him and ask him for something. Or plead with him for help. But the second thing I think John wants us to see here, because when you talk about keeping his commandments, remember what that is? It's to love others. To do what pleases him, he says to love other people. That our relationship with others, it cannot be separated from our prayer life. In fact, for three chapters, John has been stressing the importance of others first. That our relationships with each other and how we treat other people, it affects our prayer life. In fact, probably the best thing you could ever do with somebody that you get cross with or get frustrated with is to stop and pray for them. So John then goes back to the ever-important command in verse 23. And this is his commandment, speaking of Jesus, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. And John has just summed up the entire Christian life. He says, here it is. Believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. Believe in the totality of all that he is in his humanity and his deity. Believe in all of it. But it's also now to love one another. He says he sums up the Christian life. It's to believe and to love. Two sides of the same coin. Well, then John closes with the promise of assurance. Whoever keeps his commandments, God's value system of believing in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and loving others, abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So obedience to God. And you want to know how you love God? You believe in his son and you love others. That's how you love God. That's how we obey him is by believing in his son and all that he is and loving other people. But then the great thing for us, it assures our unsure hearts that God abides in us and us in him. But notice it's not something we can do on our own. Do these commandments. Believe in my son, love other people. You'll have a greater assurance that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. That he gives us the help to make sure that we can actually do this. So the spirit is there to offer these fragile, unsure hearts of confidence. But I think every believer struggles with this. Every believer we have these unsure hearts. For some of us, like these believers in Ephesus, this may be a constant battle for you. So when that important relationship, it goes sour. Or when you hurt for someone, but you just don't know what to do, and all of a sudden you begin feeling guilty about that, when feelings of being a failure come flooding in, 
When you're sitting there alone and life seems to be passing you by, lifelong friends let you down and people disappoint you and you even begin to question the significance of your life and you can't sort out your emotions anymore. When the fallenness of the world closes in and makes you just want to throw in the towel, remember, preach to yourself that God is greater. He's greater than all that is because he knows all and he still loves and fully accepts you. In fact, only in him is there assurance for our unsure hearts. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.